Wild swings roil the stock market as the Federal Reserve plans a rate hike. The Biden administration pulls its vax mandate but proposes a new one. And Joe Biden warns that Russia's Ukraine invasion could change the world. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This is The Ben Shapiro Show, and it is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Thousands of my listeners have already secured their network data. Join them at expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to all the news in just one moment. First, you shouldn't be spending as much as you are spending on your cell phone bill. You're just spending way too much money. I know. You've got AT&T or Verizon or T-Mobile because they have the great cell network and all of that. Here's the thing. You could have that same cell network, except be paying half the price, and you wouldn't be giving your money to a company that would then send that money to Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and Chuck Schumer. You should be using Pure Talk. Pure Talk, as I've said, uses the exact same tower, same 5G network as one of the big companies, but with the peace of mind that you are supporting a veteran-run business, a business whose employees are right here in the United States. So this is one monthly bill you can be proud to pay. And by the way, it will probably be about half of what your current cell phone bill is because the average family saves over eight hundred dollars a year. So that's a great deal. Head on over to puretalk.com. Find the plan that is right for you. Find the phone that is right for you or just bring your own then because they love my listeners. Enter promo code Ben Shapiro and you will save 50 percent off your very first month of coverage. That is puretalk.com. Promo code Ben Shapiro. Go check them out right now. puretalk.com. Promo code Ben Shapiro to get started. Save 50 percent off your first month and hundreds of dollars down the road at puretalk.com. Promo code Ben Shapiro. Alrighty, so the stock market is just bouncing around like crazy as everybody expects the Federal Reserve to announce a rate hike any day now. That rate hike would probably take effect in March. According to the Wall Street Journal, U.S. stock indices tumbled, partly recovered, and then retreated again in a second straight day of tumultuous trading, highlighting investor anxiety over the likely path of Federal Reserve interest rate increases ahead of the central bank's regular meeting. Tuesday's trading continues a topsy-turvy start to 2022 for stocks, which has dragged the S&P 500 down 8.6% on track for the worst month since March 2020. All three major indices fell on Tuesday, though they closed well off session lows. The S&P 500 fell 1.2%. The technology-heavy Nasdaq fell 2.3%. And the blue-chip Dow Jones Industrial Average closed down 0.2%. The moves followed another jarring intraday reversal on Monday. The Dow recovered from losses of more than 1,000 points for the first time in history. The Nasdaq recorded its biggest reversal since 2008. What this really does betray is the simple fact that nobody really knows whether we're about to enter a recession or whether this is all sort of transitory based on Joe Biden's crappy policy. The hope is that when the Federal Reserve hikes the interest rates, there'll be a temporary spike in unemployment, and then the economy will sort of even out because we won't have the superheated inflation we have seen under Joe Biden. Also, the hope is that because Joe Biden really does not have control of Congress at this point, that we have hit an end to the artificial stimulus that has driven exorbitant spending and massive bubbles in literally every area of the economy. So investors who are smart are doing what you usually do in buying the dip. And this is what I am doing. You know, I never give investment advice, but here is my investment advice. Buy the dip. Do not start selling off all of your stocks. If you can afford to wait it out, wait it out. My favorite stock market story is the Warren Buffett story. It may be apocryphal. I think it's not. In which Warren Buffett was asked in 2008 about having lost a billion dollars over the course of the stock market crash. And he said, what are you talking about? I didn't lose any money. They said, well, but look at your stock portfolio, what it's worth. He said, did I sell it? This is the key. If you don't actually realize the losses, the losses don't exist in the same way that if you don't realize the gains, the gains do not exist. Okay. that said, it is Joe Biden's crappy policy that is leading to all of this uncertainty in the markets. In fact, the Federal Reserve is likely to signal a March interest rate hike. 
and that policy tightening is coming. According to CNBC, the Federal Reserve is expected to signal at its meeting this week it is ready to raise interest rates as soon as March and that it will consider other policy tightening, reversing the easy policies it put in place to fight the pandemic. The Fed begins its two-day meeting on Tuesday. On Wednesday afternoon, the central bank is expected to issue a new statement that shows it is resolved to fight inflation against the backdrop of a violent stock market correction. Fed officials are expected to say they are ready to push up the Fed funds rate from zero as soon as March. Mark Cubana, the head of U.S. short rate strategy at Bank of America, says we don't expect them to sound dovish. The bond market seems to be reacting to the drop in equities, plus the geopolitical tensions. So maybe the Fed sounds not as hawkish as they otherwise would be. But we don't think the Fed is going to come out and tell the market it's wrong for pricing in four rate hikes this year. Four rate hikes would be a lot of rate hikes this year. This is because, of course, of the superheated monetary policy pursued not only during the Biden administration, but in 2020, when the federal government's preferred strategy was to tell you to stay home and then pour money into your pocket rather than pursuing something that looked like a reasonable strategy whereby we shielded the vulnerable and told everybody else to go back to work. According to CNBC, the Fed has found itself in its first major battle with inflation in decades after two years of super easy policies implemented to counter the economic and financial impact of the pandemic. The consumer price index in December rose 7%, which was the highest in 40 years since 1982. The stock market sell-off has actually made the Fed's job more difficult because with the stock market dipping into correction territory and the pandemic continuing and Russia threatening military action against Ukraine, the Fed is worried that if they raise the rates at this point, that the economy is still grappling with uncertainty. Powell is supposed to brief the media today. The Fed is releasing its announcement at 2 p.m. on Wednesday. And again, his tone is expected to sound hawkish. Also, the Fed has been discussing paring back their nearly $9 trillion balance sheet, which more than doubled during the pandemic. At their December meeting, central bank officials discussed the balance sheet. Some strategists expect the wind down to begin in June or even as early as May. And remember what the Federal Reserve tends to do is it buys up all sorts of assets from the market in order to inject money into the economy. The central bank's asset purchase program scheduled to end in March has been the primary contributor to the size of the balance sheet. The Fed has been buying $120 billion of Treasury and mortgage securities a month, but has been tapering back. Once it ends the program, then they have to figure out exactly how they sell all of these assets they currently own. The Fed currently replaces securities that are maturing with market purchases. It could change that operation and make other moves, like altering the duration of the securities it holds, trying to put those assets back on the market and suck some money out of the economy. Apparently, this is having an impact on the market, obviously. Barry Knapp, the head of research at Ironside's macroeconomics, said the stock market's decline was not a surprise. The 11% drop in the S&P 500 as of Monday was consistent with the average decline after other Fed tightening moves. Again, none of this had to be pursued in the first place. Loose monetary policy was at least largely the cause of the 2008 crash. It is now going to be the cause of whatever comes next right here. Meanwhile, the United States is experiencing a significant problem with computer chips. So, the historian Neil Ferguson, he has suggested in the past that the future wars will not be fought over resources like oil or gas or coal. The future wars will be fought over microchips because it is the supply of chips that is going to determine the technological development of the future. Right now, the United States is in a bad situation because so many of the manufacturers of this sort of hardware are not in the United States. According to the Washington Post, manufacturers and other buyers of computer chips had less than five days supply of some chips on hand late last year, leaving them vulnerable to any disruption in deliveries, according to the Commerce Department. The report highlighted the severity of a global shortage that has hobbled manufacturing and fueled inflation for more than a year and that defies easy solutions. Manufacturers' median chip inventory levels have plummeted from about 40 days supplies in 2019 to five days, according to a survey of 150 companies worldwide the Commerce Department conducted in September. 
the Commerce Department con concluded, quote, this means a disruption overseas, which might shut down a semiconductor plant for two to three weeks, has the potential to disable a manufacturing facility and furlough workers in the United States if that facility only has three to five days of inventory. The lack of chip inventory leaves auto manufacturers and other chip users with no room for error. And remember, of course, that the, these chips are in everything. They're in your cell phone, they're in your computers, they're in your cars. According to the Commerce Secretary, Gina Raimondo, she says a COVID outbreak, a storm, a natural disaster, political instability, problems with equipment, really anything that disrupts a chip making facility anywhere in the world. We will feel the ramifications here in the United States. A COVID outbreak in Malaysia has the potential to shut down a manufacturing facility here in America. That's why Raimondo is urging lawmakers to pass a proposal for $52 billion in federal subsidies to incentivize construction of chip factories. And this actually is, is not the worst idea in the world. I mean, the simple fact is that for national security purposes, there are certain industries that the United States needs to insource rather than outsource. We saw this with regard to medical equipment and PPE during the pandemic. This also obviously exists with regard to chip production, because if the chips disappear off the world market and the United States is left holding the bag, meanwhile, all of the chip production facilities are in China and China is exerting, for example, control over the shipping lanes with regard to Taiwan, that's a disaster area for the United States. And the Senate did pass the measure last year. After months of delay, the House on Tuesday introduced its own version of the legislation, which matches the Senate's $52 billion appropriation. In a statement, Speaker Pelosi says she aims to get the bill to the president's desk as soon as possible. Industry executives say federal funding is likely to create more long-term supply of chips, but it's not going to alleviate the short-term shortages because chip factories take years to build. Survey respondents said these shortages are not going to go away in the, six in the next six months. Some industry executives say they could last into 2023. The report found computer chips based on older technology are in short supply, creating special problems for manufacturers, including automakers, and boosting production of that sort of chip will be challenging because the profit margins aren't nearly as high, obviously, because these are older chips and they are not driven toward the future. A lack of chips forced auto manufacturers worldwide to idle factories and slash output by as much as 7.7 million cars last year, causing shortages of new and used vehicles. The collapse in auto sales to consumers because of the chip shortage shaved more than two percentage points from U.S. GDP growth in the third quarter alone. And the, the United States has, uh, has failed to insource some of this because we were reliant on global supply chains. Listen, I'm a fan of global supply chains. It is what allows you to have a cheap iPhone. However, the fact is that when you are relying on countries like China and not countries like, say, Malaysia or Indonesia, or Taiwan, for your chips, you got a real problem. And this is why global politics matter when it comes to foreign policy. It really matters who is in control of the resources. It really does matter how these supply lanes are kept open. It really does matter whether the areas in the world that are most responsible for the mining of rare earth's minerals fall into the hands of opponents of the United States. And th this is why the sort of isolationist, let's keep our hands off routine, that doesn't work particularly well when you're talking about ensuring that the United States remains a global superpower. Some lawmakers like Bernie Sanders voice opposition to the subsidies, saying the semiconductor industry is highly profitable and doesn't need federal aid. But that's really not the question. The point that Raimondo is making, and she is correct, is that the cost of building chip factories is higher here in the United States. So generally, I'm not in favor of subsidies. The only reason that I'd be in favor of a subsidy here is because it's an actual national security issue. And the fact that all of this is happening is a reflection, of course, of bad policy from the top down. You can't blame Joe Biden for the shortage in chip manufacturing here in the United States right now, except that he was vice president under Barack Obama when we really didn't do enough to increase our chip production here in the United States and insource a lot of the vital manufacturing production that we need in the United States. I'm not a fan of cracking down on free trade because we have to subsidize American industry just 
per se. I am a fan of ensuring that America's opponents don't have control over vital choke points in the global economy and also making sure that America's opponents do not have control of the things that we need in order to ensure that our economy keeps running. But this is not a competent administration, and so I really don't trust them to get us on track, unfortunately. In just one second, we'll get to Ron Klain, who is now receiving these sort of the, the sort of do smacking around that he should be getting because the media have to find somebody other than Biden to blame. So Ron Klain's head is, is now going to be on the chopping block. First, let's talk about timing the market. So we've been talking about here, the mortgage rates are likely to rise, right? The Fed is going to start tapering. When the Fed starts tapering, you can expect those mortgage rates to rise. So if you want to sneak in under the wire with a good mortgage refi, now would be the time. The latest forecasts project a few interest rate hikes this year. The first increase could come in the next month. That means now is the time to call American Financing. Take advantage of a free, no-obligation mortgage review. You will learn about custom loan options that can save you up to $1,000 a month. From lower rates to shorter terms, even debt consolidation, they can do it all. And they never charge upfront or hidden fees. So why not see what they can do for you? If you like what you hear, you can pre-qualify for free and possibly skip two mortgage payments. Plus, you may close in as fast as 10 days. Just call 866-721-3300. That is 866-721-3300 or visit AmericanFinancing.net. NMLS 182334, Go check them out, AmericanFinancing.net. Give them a call, 866-721-3300. That is 866-721-3300. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net because your rates aren't going to get better and they could get worse. So now would be the time to do it, AmericanFinancing.net. All righty, Ron Klain coming in for some do fire. Thanks to the Washington Post, they have a piece titled, Ron Klain had the perfect resume. His first year showed the limits of that experience. They didn't have the perfect resume. Actually, it just turns out he's crappy at his job. According to the Washington Post, as Joe Biden closed in on the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination, top advisors approached him with a careful process for choosing and vetting a potential White House chief of staff. Biden cut them short, pointing to one man whose experience in government outstripped anyone else. I want Ron. But throughout his first year on the job, Ron Klain and his sterling credentials have repeatedly bumped up against unusual challenges of governing in today's Washington. He drew the ire of key Democrats in Congress, antagonizing both Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senator Joe Manchin. On the single biggest challenge facing the White House, Klain at times irked the administration's top official in charge of COVID response, pushing Jeff Zients and his team to move faster in ways they found counterproductive. Klain, 60, is praised by many in the White House and on Capitol Hill for his responsiveness and organizational abilities, and most important, is said by close associates of President Biden to retain his confidence, but even some allies suggest that Klain's approach is not necessarily producing the desired results. Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat of Connecticut, says, I think by and large, he's making the trains run on time, even though some of the boxcars may seem to be empty some of the time. This account of Klain's turbulent year is based on interviews with more than 60 White House and administration officials, cabinet secretaries, members of Congress, and other Klain associates. Many talked on the record. Some spoke on condition of anonymity because they didn't want to offend anybody. White House aides have been highly protective of Klain's image. His team arranged interviews for this article with senior West Wing officials whom they rarely make available for articles involving White House policy or political strategy. Klain himself talked with the Washington Post. He said, we're going to try to find ways to do congressional meetings earlier in the day, later in the day. So maybe during the day, Joe Biden can go out, be in public. He could even travel and just try to lessen the extent to which it becomes the central narrative about what he's doing with his time. Many allies and even some critics say Klain was the best choice for the job. They point to the White House success in creating jobs and vaccinating millions of Americans. Among the strongest criticisms of Klain, however, come from Democrats who say that he has forged an alliance with the party's left that has undercut Biden's effectiveness and hurt his political image. The sore point was Biden's decision in late October not to press House Democrats to vote immediately for the bipartisan infrastructure bill as Pelosi and her allies wanted. 
Liberal Democrats preferred to wait until they could ensure that they could push Build Back Better. Biden's senior staff was united behind his decision to hold off, according to a White House official. But many people were pissed off at Ron Klain because of his frequent conversations with Congressional Progressive Caucus Chairwoman Pramila Jayapal. So in other words, the infighting has now begun inside the White House. Joe Biden has stood by Klain, even though Klain has shifted well to the left. Apparently, Klain says he has no timetable for staying in his position. He hinted that he could take only so much. He noted that the first chiefs of staff for Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama left before the two years were up. So Klain is uh, Klain. The, the clock is ticking on him, of course. I, I do love how the Washington Post describes Klain. Klain's resume is almost impossibly glittering. Impossibly. Woo! He worked for Biden on his first presidential run in 1987. I'm not sure why that's a credential. Biden had to drop out after a plagiarism scandal. He graduated that year from Harvard Law School, where he graduated magna and was an editor on the Harvard Law Review. He then clerked for the Supreme Court. He served as associate counsel in the Clinton White House and was Biden's chief of staff when he was vice president. Meh. Klain's office sits just down the hall from Biden's. Inside sits a large white poster board sectioned off as a monthly calendar plastered with sticky notes, which he said he uses during Saturday meetings to map out what the president does. White House officials say Klain regularly pokes fun at himself and his Twitter habit in meetings, sometimes expressing his opinion with the caveat, I'm just a middle-aged, overweight white guy. They also regularly give him a hard time about his voracious consumption of soda. Specifically, Klain is deeply attached to Tab. Um, man. So the Washington Post in a hit piece about Ron Klain and how he is botching everything, they do make sure to note that he is a super nice guy who loves Tab, which is which is fascinating. Meanwhile, the White House has no idea what Joe Biden does on a daily basis. Jen Psaki yesterday was asked what Joe Biden was doing, you know, while Russia was threatening Ukraine's border and while inflation was running out of control. So so here was Jen Psaki's answer as to what Joe Biden was doing yesterday. So the president has nothing on his schedule today aside from the PDB. Can you shed any light on, on how he's spending his day? Uh, well, let's see. Um, this morning, I think he had some policy meetings, uh, also a PDB meeting. Um, he, um, later this afternoon, uh, I think is doing some remarks review. Uh, there are some days that we spend some time uh, doing internal meetings and discussions uh, with policy experts, with policy leaders, um, and that's, that's what's happening today. Mm, so much is happening today. Actually, what was Biden doing yesterday? He was getting ice cream. So, uh, yeah, there, there's Joe eating ice cream. Because this is what makes him popular, is being incompetent and, and half senile and, and eating lots of ice cream. So that's exciting. Also, this administration laser focused on the problems of the people. Here was Kamala Harris, the wildly unpopular vice president yesterday, talking about where this administration has put its focus. We are focused on the most vulnerable. And based on my experience, the most vulnerable are women and girls, racial and ethnic minorities, LGBTQI plus people, indigenous people, people with disabilities, migrants, and children in the foster care system. When we identify who is most vulnerable, we can tailor our tactics and improve our strategy. So all of their tactics are tailored toward the most vulnerable, which includes a majority of American citizens. I like how she just throws women in there. Women are the most vulnerable. Women out-earn men straight out of college right now. Okay, women have far more college degrees than men do. They, they have more graduate degrees than, than men do. Women are among the victimized. So when you add women, just women as a category to that litany of the victimized in American society, she's now talking about about 70% of the American population, right? All racial minorities and all women, that would be like 70% of the American population. Basically, she should have just said everyone who is not a straight white male. Everyone who's not a straight white male is a victim in our society. 
And she's saying this from her perch as vice president of the United States, saying we're going to direct policy to the benefit of these specific groups, which actually suggests that the people who are the victims of the Kamala Harris, Joe Biden administration are the straight white males. And she is explicitly saying the only people she is not governing on behalf of are the straight white males, which is pretty astonishing. So it's a good thing. Things are things are going great for the for the Biden administration just across the board, just astonishingly well. Meanwhile, Joe Biden did take a break from eating ice cream yesterday to say that Russia invading Ukraine could change the world. It would be the biggest invasion since World War II. Um, He's not wrong about that. The only question is why he set up an incentive structure so that Russia would invade Ukraine again. There will be enormous consequences if he were to go in and invade, as he could, the entire country, or a lot less than that as well, for Russia, not only in terms of economic consequences and political consequences, but it will be enormous consequences worldwide. This would be the largest, if he were to move in with all those forces, it would be the largest invasion since World War II. It would change the world. Okay, now Biden has, has started to make some moves uh, that are a little more aggressive. Yesterday, he was not going to rule out sanctioning Vladimir Putin personally, so freezing foreign bank accounts, although Vlad is not really going to care. I mean, he's hidden his money in a variety of places, including places that the West does not have control over. Here was Joe Biden saying yesterday that he's not going to rule out sanctioning Vladimir Putin personally. Watching one of you on television pointing out the fact that uh, I think you've got it right, whoever it was, I'm, I'm embarrassed, I don't remember who saying that this is all Putin. I don't think even his people know for certain what he's going to do. Would you ever see yourself personally sanctioning him if he did invade Ukraine? Yes. You would? I would see that. Okay, in positive moves, and you got to give credit where it's due, the Biden administration did announce on Tuesday it would work with gas and crude oil suppliers from the Middle East, North Africa, and Asia to bolster supplies to Europe in the coming weeks should Russia try to cut off fuel shipments in the escalating conflict over Ukraine, according to the New York Times. European allies have been cautious in public about how far they would go in placing severe sanctions on Moscow if it invades Ukraine. Germany has been especially wary because the Germans uh, can always be counted upon to side with the world's worst humans in conflicts of this sort. Okay, with that said, you know what would have been a lot easier is if we had not greenlit the Nord Stream 2 pipeline and allowed Europe to become significantly more dependent on the on the Russian natural gas and oil industry. That definitely would have been a lot better to start. Okay, in just one second, we will talk about the immigration problems that continue to plague this administration as well. Plus, we need to get to, I think, some, some insane cultural battles of the day. First, let's talk about how much money you are spending on gas. So you think that the Russians are in control of the European gas supply? Well, over here in the United States, thanks to canceling things like the Keystone XL pipeline and making us more dependent on foreign oil as well as inflation, your gas is just too expensive. Well, what if I told you there was a way for you to be saving 25 cents per gallon on every gallon of gas that you get? Well, that's exactly what's happening with the free Get Upside app. You can get that free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Shapiro, get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Just download the app for free. Use promo code Shapiro. Get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your very first tank of gas. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to 300 bucks a year in cash back. There is no catch. The cash back gets added directly to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download that free GetUpside app. Use promo code Shapiro. Get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your very first tank of gas. That is promo code Shapiro when you get that free Get Upside app and get up to 50 cents per gallon on your first tank of gas and 25 cents per gallon after that. Alrighty, so meanwhile, the when it comes to the, the Ukraine situation, 
The good news is that this administration is so in control of themselves that uh, they're mocking Donald Trump. So Peter Ducey, or as Joe Biden calls him that son of a bitch, Peter Ducey asked the Biden administration, asked Jen Psaki, about whether a hashtag has ever stopped an authoritarian, since it seems like this administration is very into hashtag diplomacy. So here is Jen Psaki turning that around and trying to ridicule Donald Trump over it. The Secretary of State a few days ago tweeted, I hashtag stand with Ukraine. Has that ever worked at stopping an authoritarian regime from doing anything? A hashtag? I will have to say that unlike the last administration, we don't think Twitter is the only means of engaging or negotiating or discussing important topics. Okay, well, that's not true. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's not true. I mean, it was Barack Obama's administration where Jen Psaki was holding up the hashtag free our girls or whatever it was with regard to Boko Haram. So hashtag diplomacy started under Barack Obama. But of course, it is always about Trump and Trump and nothing else because they've got nothing else. I mean, meanwhile, they're just releasing single migrants into the United States. According to the New York Post, dozens of single, mostly male adult migrants were shuttled from a makeshift processing center in Texas to a local airport for flights to various United States cities, marking the first time such a transfer has been captured on video amid the ongoing border crisis, according to a report. On Tuesday, the scene began unfolding Sunday outside a parking garage in Brownsville, where a makeshift processing center was set up in a vacant office, according to Fox News. A video recording shows a line of men and women being escorted into the office, after which some of them left and got into taxi cabs that arrived to pick them up. Fox News said it followed the cabs to Valley International Airport in Harlingen, about 30 minutes away, where some of the migrants reportedly said they'd been smuggling across the border with Mexico after paying a criminal cartel 2000 bucks apiece. The migrants said they were headed to Atlanta, Houston, and Miami, according to Fox News. That revelation came one day after updated figures from U.S. Customs and Border Protection showed that more than 178,000 migrants were apprehended at the southern border last month. Almost 200,000 migrants were apprehended at the southern border last month, the highest number for any December on record. The figure is higher than the total number of migrants, 175,000, stopped during the past three December's combined, combined. So, by the way, you notice which cities these uh, migrants are going to? Atlanta, Houston, and Miami. In other words, southern cities with jobs. That, that is where they are going. The shuttling of migrants into the interior of the United States echoes a New York Post report last year in which plane loads of underage migrants were flown into the Westchester County Airport north of New York City. The Post saw some of those children transported in buses to a nonprofit residential center on Long Island and to a service area on the New Jersey Turnpike where they were met by unidentified adults and driven away in cars. Fox News said what it witnessed was unusual because single adult migrants typically are expelled from the United States under a federal law known as Title 42, which allows the government to deny people entry to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Trump invoked Title 42 after the COVID-19 pandemic struck. And Joe Biden continued the practice. So Jen Psaki was asked about this. Why are we now releasing single migrants into the United States? Why are hundreds of thousands of migrants arriving on America's southern border under Joe Biden? By the way, all these people are arriving because they know they'll never be deported. Because Joe Biden is never going to deport illegal immigrants. Period. End of story. He wants the border open. He wants the census data to reflect a huge number of migrants from countries south of the border. Because his presumption is, whether it's accurate or not, his presumption is that these people will vote Democrat. That is Joe Biden's presumption. That is the reason he is not closing the border. He has every ability to turn people away. He has every ability to send people back south of the border. And he has worked diligently to undermine many of the same agreements that Donald Trump put in place 
And then, of course, Joe Biden, when he gets caught with his hand in the cookie jar, he's had to put those agreements back in place, like the Remain in Mexico policy, where people are supposed to wait in Mexico before being granted the capacity to apply for asylum in the United States. Jen Psaki was asked about what was caught on video yesterday, and she said she knows nothing. Nothing. Why is it that large numbers of single adult men are being released into the United States just hours after being apprehended at the southern border? Well, I'm not sure the specifics of what you're referring to, Peter. Uh, what I can tell you in terms of what our policy is and how we're approaching the border is that we continue to be under Title 42. Uh, migrants who cannot be expelled under tidy, Title 42 are placed into immigration proceedings. And one of those avenues could be placement in an alternative to detention program in the interior of the United States. Okay, so in other words, I don't know what's going on, but also, yes, we are just shipping people into the interior of the United States. It's an amazing thing. I mean, this administration is actively fomenting illegal immigration while claiming that they are not doing so, which is why you're seeing record numbers of people attempting to cross that southern border while Joe Biden is president. That is what they are. They know this. They're saying this. They've said this clearly on video multiple times. We've had interviews with people asked why they are coming now. The answer is because Joe Biden is president. It is almost impossible how bad this guy is at this job. Meanwhile, the Biden administration announced on Tuesday that it is withdrawing its current emergency order mandating large employers vaccinate or regularly test their workers for COVID-19. Instead, they are pushing for a permanent rule. So it doesn't matter that COVID-19 is now endemic. It does not matter that Omicron has hit just about everybody, that it is wildly transmissible, that you're going to get it inside work or outside work, but you are going to get it, and you're getting it even if you're vaxxed, and then you'll be okay. The Occupational Health and Safety Administration will formally withdraw its order on Wednesday, according to a draft of a memo to be published in the Federal Register. The agency is not dropping the rule entirely, however, planning to keep the order as a proposed rule. According to the memo, quote, although OSHA is withdrawing the vaccination and testing ETS as an enforceable emergency temporary standard, OSHA is not withdrawing the ETS to the extent that it serves as a proposed rule under Section 6, 6C3 of the Act. This action does not affect the ETS's status as a proposal under Section 6B of the Act. In other words, they're saying we're withdrawing this for practical application, but we are using it as a model to try and develop further OSHA rules pushing vaccines. A spokesperson for the Labor Department said OSHA is evaluating the record and, and the evolving course of the pandemic. OSHA has made no determinations at this time about when or if it will finalize a vaccination and testing rule. The agency intends to work expeditiously to issue a final standard that will protect healthcare workers from COVID-19 hazards. Okay, so it sounds like they are continuing to withdraw the, the private business mandate, but they're going to continue to cram down the healthcare mandates, despite the fact that you now have states like California who rather than sending unvaccinated people who have already had COVID-19 and now have natural immunity back into hospitals, people who are not positive for COVID-19 right now, they, they would rather send in vaccinated people with COVID-19 to hospitals, which of course makes no sense whatsoever. Meanwhile, the Biden administration has decided that it's a great move to bar states like Florida from distributing monoclonal antibodies like Regeneron. And the, the Jen Psaki defended the FDA's decision to withhold treatments from Florida specifically. And then she treated monoclonal antibodies as though they were some sort of mythical cure. Now, monoclonal antibodies are not working the way they should against Omicron. However, they were quite effective with regard to Delta. And this administration spent months downplaying their effectiveness and then turned around and basically seized centralized production and distribution of the monoclonal antibodies and took them away from Florida. It's so obvious that this administration is at war with Governor DeSantis in the state of Florida, my home state. It's, it's, it's insane. It's, it's really crazy. 
We have provided 71,000 doses of antivirals to Florida, including 34,000 additional treatments that do work against Omicron just this last week. I'm sorry, about of a range of those treatments, I should say, to be clear. What the FDA is making clear is that these treatments, the ones that they are fighting over, that the governor is fighting over, do not work against Omicron, and they have side effects. That is what the scientists are saying. We have sent them 71,000 doses of treatments that are effective against Omicron and are effective also against Delta. Uh, and they are still advocating uh, for treatments that don't work. Okay, well, as DeSantis says, you know what is not working great in terms of preventing infection would be the vaccines. You guys are still pushing those really, really hard. DeSantis said, this decision was made solely by Biden's Food and Drug Administration without advance warning to states or health providers without clinical data to support the decision. The deliberate decision by the Biden administration to make this announcement effective immediately through a press release actively prevents states and healthcare providers from making real-time operational decisions that save lives. Now, again, why you are preventing people from getting monoclonal antibodies, I mean, they might have Delta, right? This was effective against Delta. It's far less effective against Omicron by the available data at this point. And again, it, it was the Biden administration that attempted to prevent the distribution of monoclonal antibodies in the middle of the Delta spike a little bit earlier this year. Meanwhile, Ron DeSantis said that 2,000 Floridians had their treatments canceled because of Joe Biden. Right? Like, th this, is, this is really ugly stuff. He says, it's something we actually have seen applied with Omicron patients. We've seen symptoms resolved. It's not clear this is not something that's not going to be a benefit. It may not be as good as it was against Delta, but we'd like to have that here for patients to be able to do it. Why is the FDA openly banning it and treating it like it's, it's some sort of unproven treatment with regard to other forms of Omicron? This has much more to do with the politics of distribution than it has to do with the, the actual attempts by this administration to prevent people from taking essentially placebos. And meanwhile, here's an insane story for you with regard to with regard to covid. According to the UK Daily Mail, an unvaccinated, gravely ill 31-year-old father of two has now been taken off the donor list for a heart transplant because he doesn't want to take the COVID vaccine. TJ Ferguson, who has a hereditary heart condition that causes his lungs and heart to fill with blood and fluid, was denied the life-saving organ transplant by Boston Brigham and Women's Hospital, a teaching hospital over at Harvard Medical School. The hospital said it removed Ferguson from the donor list because all transplant recipients need to get the vaccine in order to create both the best chance for successful operation and also the patient's survival after transplantation. The hospital, which has a list of protocols for transplant candidates that include a ban on lifestyle choices like smoking and alcohol, said that requiring the COVID vaccine is common at many medical centers throughout the country. The mortality rate for transplant recipients who get COVID is more than 20%, according to UC Health. Ferguson's family is considering transferring him to another hospital. His wife said that he may be too weak to move. Dr. Arthur Kaplan, head of the medical ethics at NYU Grossman School of Medicine, told CBS Boston vaccination is a requirement for transplants because after receiving a new organ, patients' immune systems are essentially switched off. They say the flu could kill you, a cold could kill you, COVID could kill you. The organs are scarce. We're not going to distribute them to someone who has a poor chance of living when others who are vaccinated have a better chance post-surgery of surviving. And this, of course, is not the first person who has uh, who has been denied a transplant because of the because of failure to get vaccinated. Now, I'm a believer in vaccination. I think that particularly somebody like this who is severely immunocompromised should absolutely be getting the vaccine. However, if we are going to start playing this game where we deny life saving treatments to people because of personal decisions with regard to vaccines, I'm just wondering if we can do the same with obesity. Right? They're doing the same with smoking and alcoholism, so at least there's a certain level of consistency there. 
I'm just wondering if you broadly apply this sort of stuff across the medical system, are we actually going to hold people accountable for their healthcare decisions now? I'm okay with it, but I just want to know if you guys are on the libertarian side. Are you now libertarians with regards to this sort of stuff? If so, then let's be libertarian all the way across the board. Okay, in just one second, we'll get to some insane cultural battles that have now broken out with regards to the left trying to shut people down first. Let's talk about a new podcast that you should give a listen to. I'm talking, of course, about the Jordan Harbinger podcast. This is an entertaining, informative podcast. It is packed with actionable content. It's about time you check out the Jordan Harbinger show. It's a top shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018. We are fans here at The Daily Wire. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people from athletes to authors to scientists to mobsters to spies. You're always going to get something interesting, whether you're talking about an episode with Kobe Bryant or one with Dan Carlin or maybe one with Scott Adams or Oliver North. Harbinger has an undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never-been-heard-before stories and thought-provoking insights without fail. He pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode, all with a noble cause to make you more informed, more critical with regard to your thinking, and better able to operate in today's world. It's a great casual listen. You might expand your worldview. Go check them out right now. It's incredibly interesting. There's never a dull show. Search for the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy I-N as in Nancy G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can't go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger Show to your podcast rotation. Alrighty, in just one second, we'll get to some insane cultural stories of the day. First, the next episode of Adam Carolla's comedy series, Truth Yeller. It airs tomorrow. Adam is joined by Silicon Valley actor and comedian T.J. Miller, who wears a very short clip-on tie and takes no prisoners. Check it out. We got a guy up here that has a shirt on that says, do not comply. <laughs> and so I don't have, yeah, that's right. And that's nice because I don't have to ask if you've been vaccinated or if you care about the elderly or anything like that. I already know from your shirt. I'm like, he'd kill my grandmother and not think a second time about it. <laughs> Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Miller for 25% off your membership. Look out for the new episode with T.J. Miller. It drops tomorrow. Also, as you know, we have launched our own publishing wing, DW Books. If it is true, it's probably not getting published by anybody else because we are proud to be publishing two books, actively fighting the left's monopoly on storytelling. The first is 12 Seconds in the Dark by Sergeant Mattingly. This is the true story of what really happened the night of the tragic Breonna Taylor shooting. This became a flashpoint in the anti-police wars waged by the left. And now you have the inside story from Sergeant Mattingly, a 20-year police veteran. It takes readers inside his department's response and debunks the lies that have been recklessly shared with the public. This was a book that was decommissioned by Simon & Schuster. Simon & Schuster was about to publish it, and then they decided we're not going to do it because we're afraid of the blowback. Well, we don't care about the blowback here at DW Books. In fact, we welcome it. DW Books is also publishing Fiery But Mostly Peaceful by Julio Rosas. He's been a guest on this program. He pulls back the curtain. He sets the record straight on the Black Lives Matter riots that broke out across the country in 2020. You were told by the media, of course, that these were fiery but mostly peaceful, that they were just wonderfully enriching to everyone who participated. Rosas was reporting from on the ground. He will give you the truth. I'm grateful to have these brave truth tellers on board. Can't wait for you to hear their stories. Both books are now available for pre-order on Amazon or anywhere you buy books online. You are listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. All righty. Meanwhile, the left continues its attempts to purge literally everyone from everything who does not agree with their points of view. So, there is a show, it is called Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, right? It's a spinoff on the Real Housewives series. And it is filled with women who are famous for doing responsible and caring and wonderful things for one another. Oh, wait, no, it's, it's famous mostly for women being irresponsible and kind of bitchy to one another. That, that's sort of the, the 
basis of the show. Well, now there's one woman who has not made the cut. Her name is Jenny Wen from The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. And she has been thrown off the show. Why? Because her social media posts were deemed racially offensive. Her old Facebook posts disparaged protesters and the Black Lives Matter movement. Fans of the reality TV show demanded that she be fired. Which fans? How many fans? Seven? It's usually seven fans. She made social media comments amid the 2020 protests that occurred following the killing of George Floyd. When apologized last week, never do that. Never, ever, ever apologize. It is a waste of time. See, in a normal world, you'd apologize for stuff you do wrong. But in this world, even if you apologize for stuff you do wrong, that's just an excuse for them to chop off your head. Bravo said in a statement, we recognize we failed to take appropriate action once her offensive social media posts were brought to our attention. Moving forward, we'll work to improve our processes to ensure we make better informed and thoughtful casting decisions. She said that she regretted writing her remarks, that I want to acknowledge and apologize for my deleted posts from 2020 that resurfaced. At the time, I thought I was speaking out against violence. I've since learned how offensive and hurtful my words were. I regret these posts. I'm sincerely sorry for the pain they caused. Now, one of the things that is super annoying about the articles like this is they never tell you exactly what she said, okay? So you actually have to dig to find what she said that was so horrifying and terrifying and absolutely evil and, and just, just the worst thing in, in the world. Okay, so what did she do? Okay, well, she um, she called some people who were burning things and hurting people BLM thugs and violent gangs. Oh, no, that's terrible. That's that's super racist. Why? I Why? If you set things on fire and hurt people, I'm pretty sure you should be called a thug. I don't care what your race is. If you, if you set fire to things and hurt people and you are associated with Black Lives Matter, this makes you a Black Lives Matter thug. Just as if you are associated with Antifa, this makes you an Antifa thug. And if you're a person who's beating up a cop on January 6th, you're a January 6th thug. Like this is an all-purpose word as it turns out, but you're apparently not supposed to say it when it's associated with Black Lives Matter. What exactly did she do that was so terrible? She said, quote, hundreds of blacks shot, many killed, including children by other blacks every week. Over a thousand officers violently injured, some permanently by rioters. Anarchists rioting in major cities every night, which has caused billions of dollars of destruction to private and public property. And you still think police officers are the problem. You are an idiot. This gets you fired now? Really? Like you say that police are the solution to crime and that the real problem for the black community when it comes to violence against black citizens is other black people, just like the real problem for the white community when it comes to violence is generally other white people. And that the cops aren't a problem. This gets you fired now? Like, I, I, I don't understand how this, this, is, this is super duper terrible. Okay, and then apparently she showed another meme and it showed two cartoon characters, one an elderly white woman and the other a middle-aged white man talking with a man staring at stick figures, bumper stickers on the back of her car that normally represent family members. He said, no, that's not my family. That's how many rioters I've hit, the cartoon white woman said. Okay, I mean, politically incorrect, sure. Is that racist? It doesn't say the race of the people. That she, they could have been Antifa protesters. Also, and then there was another one that she posted that was a picture of Ken Jeong's character from Community shouting. And it said, if you follow the officer's orders, you won't get shot. Okay. I mean, all right. This now gets you canned because a few idiots right into Bravo. Now, listen, I don't care what happens on The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. I've never seen an episode. I will never watch an episode because I would rather gouge out my own eyeballs with a spoon than watch an episode of a show like that. With that said, should the lady lose her job because she said that she likes the cops and she doesn't like rioters? I'm confused. Are you supposed to hate the cops and love her? Apparently, apparently that is what is necessary right now. So that's good. Meanwhile, apparently... We are going to get the politically correct version of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves if Peter Dinklage has his way. So Peter Dinklage is, of course, the uh, the 
actor from Game of Thrones, and, and he was in uh, one of the Avengers movies, Avengers Endgame, I think. And um, and he's very angry at Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. He calls it a an effing backwards story. He said, there's a lot of hypocrisy going on. Literally no offense to anyone, but I was a little taken aback when they were very proud to cast a Latina actress as Snow White. We were still, still telling the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Okay, so, I mean... I'm glad that he's allowed to say it. It is sort of bizarre that that the the story is is about a woman literally named Snow White, but it's a Latina actress. I mean that that it's strange. I mean you can, you can say it's a little counterintuitive casting, but what he's really mad about is that the studio depicts dwarves in Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. He says you're progressive in one way, but then you're still making that effing backwards story about seven dwarves living in a cave together. What the f are you doing, man? Have I done nothing to advance the cause for my soapbox? I guess I'm not loud enough. I don't know which studio that is, but they were so proud. He knows exactly which studio it was. He just wants to work for Disney in the future because Marvel is owned by Disney. By the way, Peter Dinklage complaining that that stereotypes about dwarves are used in, in entertainment. The man would not have a career if stereotypes about dwarves were not used in entertainment. I mean, I'm sorry to say that, but it happens to be the case. I mean, Game of Thrones, he literally plays a dwarf, right? And then that dwarf violates a lot of the stereotypes, but that is part of the story, right? That is part of what Game of Thrones is playing upon. As Matt Walsh pointed out, he is correct. The entire shtick that he had an elf was a joke about him being a dwarf. And then Will Ferrell thinking that he was an elf because of it and him being offended by it. I mean, it happens to be the case that Peter Dinklage, I mean, this, this is his role in literally every movie. He gets cast because of his stature. I mean, this, this is not pretend. Like, isn't he in a new production of Cyrano de Bergerac? I think it's because of this again. Again, this is not a negative about dwarves about people who suffer from dwarfism. That's, that, that's not uh, people who have dwarfism. I hesitate to say suffer from because there are a lot of people who have dwarfism who are not suffering from dwarfism. In any case, people who have dwarfism are cast in movies largely because of their dwarfism, and this happens to be the case with Peter Zinklage. Also, are we supposed to pretend that the dwarves of myth are the same as just people suffering from dwarfism now? Like this is the same thing? There are many, many tales throughout the, the myths of, of the Norse gods that, that are related to Dwarves, right? Those dwarves also have other characteristics, like they mine a lot and, and churn the earth and all of this sort of stuff. Is all that offensive to, to dwarves now? Like what? Okay, but we're supposed to, what, just kowtow to, to Peter Dinklage because he has some notes about the Grimm brothers? Pretty incredible. Meanwhile, you have Neil Young telling Spotify that they should either pull his music or pull Joe Rogan. Well, I guess it's goodbye to Neil Young then. Because Joe Rogan has 11 million listeners per episode. So um, catch you later, Neil. It is incredible how much celebrities think they get to reshape the culture around us based on the fact that we recognize some of their music and some of their faces. All righty. We have reached the end of today's program. However, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. Coming up soon is The Matt Wall Show. It airs at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to check it out over at dailywire.com. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs> 
Today on the Matt Wall Show, media matters and some others on the left were upset by my analysis of the modern dating scene. Apparently, I'm told that my point of view on the subject is old-fashioned and reactionary, and they're not necessarily wrong about that. Also, a truck carrying infected monkeys from a lab escaped from their cages during a highway accident. Why are these labs allowed to dump pathogens all over the globe without any consequence? That's a question. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. made a Holocaust analogy during his speech at the anti-mandate protest on Sunday. And yesterday, his own wife came out and denounced him for it. Plus, Kamala Harris lists the most vulnerable victim groups in America, and the list seems to have expanded to encompass every group except one, of course. And finally, Hollywood actor Peter Dinklage says that the dwarves in Snow White are offensive. And the story only gets dumber from there, I promise you. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show.